This is Work of the Beat. It is Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us. Mike Kern will join us in a minute. Another jam-packed show as we're back to a somewhat normal schedule. Uh, the uh, student teaching is done. Thank you for those who have asked how it's been going. Um, and uh, we're back kind of, like I said, to a normal schedule. This week we'll have one on Friday. Next week we'll have a couple before the holiday. Uh, and then we'll see how it goes in the new year. Uh, once, you know, obviously jobs require some things and all that. Going to line up some guests. And get back on track here with the podcast. Thank you for hanging in there for those who have. Um, our guest today is Jason Mertitis. Uh, works, obviously, with the Flyers Broadcasting Network, also on 97.5 The Fanatic. Starting a new podcast with his old buddy Harry Mays uh, for Jacob Media. Uh, we'll talk to him about, obviously, what happened yesterday. The Flyers firing Elaine Vigneault. Did not expect it this quick. Expected it could be coming around Christmas, but... Um, Circumstances kind of on Sunday night with the 7-1 loss uh, necessitated Vigneault gone uh, and Mike Yo taking over. Of course, last night they'd give up seven more and a loss to Colorado. It's real tough when you play Tampa and Colorado back-to-back, but uh, that's what happened to the Flyers. Then Mr. Kearney and I will talk about the Eagles a little bit. Now, I don't want to get into a quarterback controversy because there is no controversy when you have Gardner Minshew as one of the options. Okay? Flat out. And then we'll discuss college football's uh, playoffs are set. New head coach at Notre Dame. We'll get into all that a little bit. And who knows? Mr. Kern will take it a different way, I'm sure, at some point. So when we come back, Jason Martitas to talk the state of the Flyers. Here's a hint. It's not good. That's next. Work of the Beat continues after this. All right, so the Flyers made it official yesterday. What everybody kind of saw was coming over the last couple of weeks. Elaine Vigneault is gone, uh, replaced by Mike Yo. It didn't stop anything. Flyers lost last night 7-5 to Colorado. And brutal back-to-back uh, between Tampa and Colorado. And joining us now, one of the members of the Flyers Broadcast Network, uh, also uh, working at 97.5 The Fanatic, He's busier than than Kern is. It's unbelievable. He, and he works his everybody's Saturday. busier than Kern is. Well, that's true. And uh, also starting a podcast with Harry Mays. Wow, you guys should have been paired together for a long time here. <laughs> uh, I got I got like thirty jobs now. Yeah, uh, up for uh, up at uh, as part of Parks, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. Parks is our Parks Sportsbook is our sponsor for the the podcast is called. Ah, jeez. Because <laughs> Harry would always say that to me. He'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm on my way to the rink uh, for a men's league game. And he'd be like, ah, jeez. <laughs> so that's the podcast. It, it debuts uh, today, Tuesday. Um, at 1.30, we do it live, and then it's available on demand after. And I just I just brought back my Stick to Hockey podcast, too. 
um, along presented also by Parks. It's now changed to Stick to Hockey Live. So I live stream it on Mondays and and on Thursdays at one o'clock. We do a live show, and that becomes available on demand in both video and video and audio forms after as well. So I figured if Kern's not working at all. I better pick up the slack around here because every time I see him, he's sitting in that lounger, that that lazy boy. Very, very comfortable. Yes. Very comfortable. So Jason Bertitis joins us here, and we will talk, obviously. Let's get – all right, enough with the joviality. Let's talk about the hockey team at this point. Um, We have to. Yeah, we kind of (laughs) do. You know what was funny? At the end of last year, I think you and I talked at the end of last year at one point. And I wondered about Vigneault's future if they got off to a slow start. Uh, were you surprised that it kind of happened this quick, though? Yeah, they didn't want it to happen this quick, especially, you know, because they haven't had a chance to see AV with this new group of players in total. Like, we've seen Ryan Ellis a grand total of four games. Right. And when he was in, Kevin Hayes was not. Hayes had double core surgery. And then Broussard got hurt. And you lost Farabee. And you've had all these injuries, and it's it's been kind of bananas that they've kind of been hit with the injury bug. And then you couple that, Kev, you know, their schedule up until last night is the hardest schedule in the NHL, bar none. It's not even close. Yeah. And they had a 10-day stretch in there where they had the hardest 10-day stretch, 10-game stretch, that any team will have this entire year. So you couple injuries, a team not playing well, belief system getting kind of, you know, fractured if you will in what they're doing a team struggling to score and incredibly good and unforgiving opponents and that's where you get a nine game losing streak before well before before Kern jumps in is it more the way they lost than them losing in a strange way because of all the one goal game uh, all the one goal efforts and all that that's what forces the change more than you lost nine in a row yeah I think I think it's there was a, a process element to it where this team just couldn't manufacture quality scoring chances. There, a lot of times they'd outshoot their opponent, but like I don't, I've never given a shit about shots on goal. It's you can go, oh my god, you got outshot. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's about quality. It's not about quantity. It can be about qual, you know, quantity. If like last night they gave up fifty shots. But they also gave up a ton of quality. Mm-hmm. So shots from the outside for a goalie is like going in the backyard with your kid and playing catch. You know, clear-sighted shot from the outside. You'll take that all day. That's just a waste. And that shot, unfortunately, by raw numbers, is counted exactly the same as a shot that's a, a deflection or a rebound in tight. And those are nowhere near the same level of scoring chance. So I don't look at that, but... Um, you know, when you look at the situation, they just didn't have the puck enough. They weren't in the offensive zone enough. Uh, they, they didn't. They looked like a team that didn't have the personnel to run the system that AV runs. And you, and you guys know this. Like we use that word system or process. Sure. But for a coach, that's not what it is. It's a belief system. It's religion. And they don't just change it because they go, I got here with this belief system. I got here doing that. I've had a lot of success as an NHL coach running a 2-1-2 split four check. I'm not going to just change it right now and change my belief system as to what works because it doesn't it looks ugly right now. They just don't do that. And 
it, they're not very amenable to doing that. Only one pro coach I even know of in any sport that has done that is Bill Belichick because one year you got Randy Moss, you go flying up and down the field. Another year you don't, you run the ball and you play defense. You know, he's the guy that does that, but he's special. So I, I think the way they lost, obviously, on Sunday, the 7-1 loss, you had a team in Tampa come in, Kev, five games, and they played three games in four days, four mm-hmm. games in six days, five games in seven days. So much so that that's an advantage for the Flyers who didn't have a game for three days, that Vegas made it an even-money game. Yeah. And the Flyers, I mean, they hung a touchdown and an extra point on them. And then they hung another touchdown and an extra point on them last night for the first time, giving up seven or more goals in back-to-back games since 93. I I was surprised that it happened yesterday because of the game against Colorado. I thought maybe they would try to limp through this week, and if they were going to make a change maybe at the end of the week, um, you know, after the West Coast trip. But but I can't can't dispute the fact that, you know, something had to be done. done. Yeah, uh, you know, it gets to a point where you have no choice. Yeah. Sorry, And Mike. they had no choice. <laughs> sorry, Colonel. That's all right. Yeah, go ahead. No, just enjoying the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I like hearing Jason talk hockey. But, I mean, look, hockey's a sport where coaches get fired all the time. It's, it's it, The NBA's a little bit less. That's just that sport. You know, you see even good coaches getting fired. But to me, Jace, it's like I take, take the long view. I look at this franchise over the last two decades, or since, I guess, Lindros left. What have they done? Yet, they still consider themselves, I think, inside their doors, an elite franchise for whatever yeah. reasons that they want to think mm-hmm. that. And Mike Sealski, I thought, did a really good column yesterday where he went to their draft picks. And I don't follow the NHL as much as other sports, but their draft picks have been dredge for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like they're in quicksand all the time. So now we're going to go through again, you know, something different. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work. Maybe it'll work. We, you know, we were all excited after Vigneault's first year, but we knew that was his M.O. He came in. He got a team to finals, and then maybe he wore on you a little bit. But, like, what should we think if you're a Flyers fan? That we're sitting here, and it looks – and, like you're saying, the schedule's going to lighten up, maybe. But it looks like a lost season, again, because they're in a tough division. It's tough to make the playoffs. Like, if you're a Flyer fan, like, what do you look for? You know, maybe two or three years from now, you can be saying, hey, we're one of those teams. Yeah, it's a great question. For, for, I want to address the first part of your question first, because you're right. In the NHL, coaches get fired a lot in season two. And somebody asked me yesterday on the day that AV got fired, they said, why does that happen so much in the NHL? And I, you know, my answer was because it works. It has worked for yeah. so many teams, including Louis Blues, right? a couple of years oh, ago. Mike Yo, the Flyers interim coach, was let go in St. Louis. Craig, they had the worst record in the NHL in January, mind you. Yeah, yeah. And they went on to win the Cup. 2009, almost to the day, December 4th, 2009, John Stevens was fired as the Flyers coach. Lavi. Peter Laviolette came in on, on December 5th. And the first three weeks of Lavi were a mess. He won two of his first 11 games. Then they started to get it together. It worked. They got to a final. You look in Pittsburgh in 2008, Michelle Terrian fired in 2008. They go to the Cup in 2009 and win it. After the previous year, they lost it. You look at Mike Sullivan when he was hired in Pittsburgh. It's all over the place. Bruce yeah. Boudreaux in 2006 with the Washington Capitals. They ended up making the playoffs that year. Ed Ovechkin. And it, it, so why does it happen so much? Because, oddly enough, it works. Yeah. It's almost like the coaches union should be like, we can't make this keep working because it gets <laughs> us fired. <laughs> you well, know? Well, if you want to go back in Flyers history, Laviolette got fired and Barubi takes them to the playoffs back yep. in the one, the year they lost to the to the Rangers. I mean, and yeah. they, that was not a good team. That was, yeah. um, I mean, uh, all right, but there's well, a lot of those where it works. 
Let him but yeah, your other, as far as your other point, though, you know, you're right. Since Lindra, I mean, they went to the cup in 2010. Yeah, but, but that was a fluke. We all know, but that's okay. They did. No, I don't they know can. that that was a fluke. I mean, look at well, the they players got they had. The playoffs in a shootout on the last day. Yeah, because they made a coaching change in season. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I hear you, but that was but that was like, a good team. Yeah, I mean, you, yes, okay. it was just I was that. under. I mean, you have Chris Pronger, you have Richards, yeah. you have Carter, you have Simone Gagne, not in his prime at that point, but you have some really good players on that team and a, and a lot of depth. And that's the reason why they got there. The path was also charted nicely for them, you know, mm-hmm. getting the Devils and then Washington getting knocked out. You had home ice advantage in the conference final as a seven seed against Montreal, the whole thing. But, you know, the, the organization had a real big pivot when they moved on from Carter and Richards on that draft day. Yeah. And they traded those two guys. And while you look at the return, you go, okay, that was they got a, a huge return. You ended up with Wayne Simmons, who was a really good flyer, Jake Voracek, the draft pick to draft Sean Couturier. Uh, you had all these players, Braden Chen, but those two players went on to win cups, multiple cups, and you've kind of languished since then. So um, I, I think the the organization lost its identity at one point or doesn't know its identity. And mm-hmm. any team or organization that doesn't know their identity, I think that's a problem. And there was and it, there was changes. It went from Holmgren to Hextall to Chuck Fletcher. So there's going to be identity changes by proxy. But, I mean, like, look at the, a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Have they ever had an identity crisis? No. 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 They know exactly what they are. Yeah, say what you want, in, say what you want uh, about the Eagles. The Eagles kind of know what they are. Yeah. I think Howie goes away from it on occasion because he, he tries to prove he's smarter than everybody. But, like, the identity of a franchise is important. And I'm not saying their identity needs to be the Broad Street Bullies and we'll beat the shit out of you if, you know, you come in our our building and score too many goals on us. That's not it. But it's just got to have – you have to have an organizational identity of commitment, of excellence, and all of those things, or else you won't ever be that. And I think that that just kind of got lost a little bit. And then the loss of Ed Snyder, you know – changes the identity and it's a corporate ownership and all of those things. There's a lot of variables here, but you're right, Mike, they have to, you know, th- they've made some good picks over the years. Carter Hart, I think is a really good pick. Oh as yeah. A second rounder. Sure. I mean, Konechny was a first rounder, but he's got to get straightened out. He's been too inconsistent. I think that's one of the reasons Vino has gone too, is because he's never been good with young players. We knew that coming in. Um, but there's been too much regression and volatility to these young players like Konechny, like Provorov, like Sanheim, and so many others that, that you can't have that happen. The, the next coach has to come in and need to get those players right and future you know, draft picks and prospects and talent, get them right and on a, on a consistent upward trend, not this up and down. Like Konechny was healthy scratch last year. The year prior in that season, he was on a 30-goal pace. He scored 24 goals in 69 games. And then it's been kind of erratic ever since. That can't be the case. Well, They have, they have to figure that out. Well, when we look at the next coach, one, how long do you expect Mike Yale will be the head coach here? It's a good question. Um, you know, I understand why he's named the interim coach five games in seven days. You don't bring a coach in when you're in the midst of that. And you no practice, right. Yeah, you got he got to have a little practice time, be able to get comfortable in, in that. But... Um, I don't know. I my I suspect Kev that it's probably a couple of weeks. I think that I know that they've been talking to several guys, whether that's Tockett, whether that's Tortorella, whether that's Dan Quinn, or whether that's uh, Jim Montgomery. So I, I think all those guys are, are viable candidates. I think that 
the Vancouver Canucks acted on Bruce Boudreau because they thought the Flyers were going to hire him. <laughs> right. And they acted really quick. And th- that thing was all kind of bungled up there in Vancouver because I think they thought the Flyers were going to fire him or were going to hire him and fire Vino that night. And, I mean, they see what the score is in Philadelphia as the Flyers are getting slacked by Tampa Bay. Yeah. And then in the third period of that game, you see come across – you know, the breaking news that Bruce Boudreaux was just hired in Vancouver. I don't think that's a coincidence. Jason, if this if you were the guy making the calls, is there a guy that you think, or, or is it really too weird to say, like, well, Tockett would work or this guy would work? Or, is there a guy that you think of the guys you just kind of mentioned or that might work the best? I, and I don't know if that's the Ante Vino or, you know, you tell me. Yeah, usually you get the opposite of the coach you right. just fired. Like, if you have a hard-ass coach, you get the player's coach. Then from the player's coach, you get the hard-ass. It's like back and forth, right? Um, it depends on what you want to do, Mike. If, you, if you're if you a team that believes you're going to rebuild, then you go with a certain candidate. If you're going with a team that you think you can win with this group, then you go with a different candidate. And I, I just don't see a scenario where Chuck Fletcher was as, as aggressive as he was in the offseason turning over the roster, right. bringing in guys like Ellis, and I know he hasn't been available with They injury. never rebuild, Jason. They, the Flyers never rebuild. No, and in the NHL, rebuild's a real weird thing. I mean, Exactly. I mean, look at the teams that really went through pronounced rebuilds. Are they any better for it? Yeah, they may have some good players, but they haven't won shit. Right. Like, like Toronto did it, and there was four years of pain, and they, they haven't won a round of the playoffs. You know what I mean? Edmonton had four number one overall picks in six years, and they've they haven't gotten past the the second round once. once, Right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so there's no guarantee. They're they're working on it. They're they're working. Yeah, I mean, look, would I like to have Connor McDavid (laughs) and Leon Drysital or Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner? (laughs) Damn right, I would. (laughs) But uh, but I think that the general manager is not going to all of a sudden pivot from what his his plan was. I think he's going to bring a coach and he's going to try and get the most out of this group. And the guy that makes the most sense to me is John Tortorella for so many reasons. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit whether your contract, how many commas are on it or how many zeros. He doesn't care how many uh, goals or assists you've had in your career, uh, whether you're a first-year player or a, a 15th year player. He will hold you accountable. And he'd be fun in Philly. He'd be. I think he'd be a god here, to be honest with you, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's tough on the media, but whatever. Yeah. But what he would do, not only get the most out of this team, he would do two things that I think are really important. Number one, on the ice, he creates de- defensive D-zone certainty. And you need to create D-zone certainty right now or you're going to ruin the goalie. You're going to ruin him. And he's got a chance, the goalie's got a chance to be special. He's got that kind of talent. But if you put him in an environment like he was in last year, you're going to ruin them because you, no goalie can withstand that. It's too much breakdown in, in structure. And then number two, what John Tortorella does, and you shouldn't hire a coach for this reason, but this just happens to be a nice byproduct of if you did hire him, Get buzz. he makes the Flyers matter. Yeah, and and, and that's a big thing because yep. honestly, you know, Look, I get it. We're in the middle of Eagle season, and you know this because you work on sports talk. I'm, uh, uh, you know, we're in the middle of Eagle season, and even when they fire a coach, and even when they get embarrassed, there's not a ripple. Not really a ripple yesterday. And that's no. what was amazing to me and how bad it is. And the one thing with Torts, you know, and, and look, I'm on record. I want Tortorella. I, I think Tortorella, if anything, Tortorella helps you weed out who you want to keep and who you may want to yep. dispatch next year. Okay, if you're going to build... He the makes co- that process very clear. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
But he, but he also look at what he did in Tampa. Look at what he did in Columbus, for God's sakes, and, and making a culture where teams were competitive. I mean, in, in, in sm- smaller quote unquote markets, but able to play at a high level. And he actually did a pretty good job with the Rangers too. Why not go that way? And why not buck the trend? If you hire Rick Tockett, is he going to be a bad coach? No. I think Rick Tockett will be a fine coach if they brought him in here. But you do play into that idea that it's the same old Flyers and they're staying in-house. And and even though Vigneault was a, a kind of bucked that trend as well, I do think you can't necessarily turn to Tockett at this point. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I mean, you. I think you can. I think he's an option. I think he's a viable option. But I, like I said on my podcast, you don't hire Rick Tockett because he played for the Flyers. You don't hire Rick Tockett because of the way he played the game because you're not hiring the player. You hire the coach mm-hmm. and the coach that he is. He's a good coach. Um, he doesn't have the. He's not the same pedigree as John Tortorella. That's that's obvious. He Tortorella is a cup winning coach and has coached in this league a lot longer and has a lot more success to his name. So I, I don't know if Tock is the wrong guy. I don't know if Tock is the right guy, um, but. I just be, I believe that Tortorella is the right guy. I know a lot of people are probably shaking their heads, going, "Dude, why do you want him? That you're an idiot." I know, but it's just it's my belief system, and the D zone structure is a big part of that. So, and I like John Tortorella. <laughs> I do. I I've talked to guys that have played for him, and he gets more out of the guys. And and there's a lot of you know back and forth between the player and the coach, but um, he'll get the most out of the players that have the stones to play for him. He's a bit of a throwback, as you guys know. And look, I, sometimes iron sharpens iron. You got to get in a guy's grill. You got to make him care beyond when he walks outside the parking lot. You know, I, I just feel like sometimes with pro athletes today, they care until they pull out, pull their car out of the parking lot of the stadium or the arena. Yeah. And then, then it's a hey, back to normal life. To me, Jason, what you said about, to me, the most important commodity this team has is the goalie going forward. I mean, he could be your goalie for the next decade or so. They they also could use some snipers because they've never had. But anyway, to me, what you're saying about his defensive philosophy, that to me is the most important thing right now for the Flyers. You can't lose this goalie. Yep. You can't because yep. if you do, then you're starting from scratch again. Yeah. Yeah. And. You know, you've been looking for it's the white whale. You've been looking yeah. for it forever. You finally find it, and then you screw it up. Yeah, can't, can't do that. I mean, the kid. I think the kid again. I think he can be special. He's got tremendous efficiency and movement, technical abilities, play reading abilities. I think he's got the mental, like kind of like disposition to handle not only the position but this market. But you got to put him in an environment that he, it can breed success. And when things break down to the level that we've seen in the last two games, and we saw last year, in particular that month of March, there, there's nobody that can withstand that. Patrick Waugh couldn't do it. Marty Brodeur wouldn't have been able to do it. Hashik wouldn't have been able to do it. it it's a, an environment that will not breed success for a goaltender. Jason, you know, so much attention on this franchise over the last decade has been about Claude Giroux. And when you wear the captain C, you get criticized you get yelled at and it it was brought up yesterday that you know look they always change the guy behind the bench because as you said it had it does work um but Giroux is the constant 
And I guess the question would be, how much longer, you know, Drew's in the final year of his contract, and obviously the deadline will come sooner rather than later here, where you, if you're out of it, you're going to have to make some decisions. Where do you see Giroux at this point? And, you know, he had a good game last night, obviously, but it almost feels like we're heading towards, a, a, a you know, I guess the deadline's in March because of the Olympics this year, correct? April, actually. April. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at a later. certain point, there's going to be a decision made. You know, are we approaching that time already? For Giroux, you, whether you move on or not. Well, I mean, you have a lot of time in between now and then, and you're not going to deal him until closer to the deadline when you can get as many teams involved as possible, and you also prorate his salary. Right. Because let's face it, like a lot of teams that are really good trying to win a cup tend to not have $8.25 million in cap space. In the cap space, space yeah. yeah and, and a dollar-for-dollar dollar transaction league right now because of the cap's flat. So um, you're going to have to wait until the deadline to do something or really close to it. Um, so you have a lot of time. The weird thing is, Kev, as as bad as they have been, lost nine straight, they have games in hand on the wild card teams in the Eastern Conference, and one of those teams is the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> so they're actually not out of it yet, as no. odd as odd as that sounds. As odd, no, but it gets go, laid early if you keep going like this. At, which is why I think you made the, the move too, right? Because you're you're reaching a point where it's becoming too much of a, an emotional hill to climb. Because that reservoir of emotion eventually runs out because it's not sustainable to chase it all year. Um, so I think that's why they make the move as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, if they're a team that's out of it, there's no reason to not go to him and ask him to waive the no-move clause and try to go to a team and, and get a piece for him. you get a first-round pick for him. You're not going to get a first-round pick, a prospect in Bowen Byram. People think that. Like, I've seen that on social media. I'm going, what, are you crazy? Like, he is an expiring contract. And – it's not a guarantee. I could see him going to a team like the team they played last night. Yeah. Colorado. I mean, number 28's available, and boy, would he fit on that team, like, beautifully. And they're a really good team. So it it would depend on the situation. I don't see him going to, like, Ottawa. That doesn't make much sense to me because they're not – I mean, they're – Well, he's from that from area, Flyers. right? Yeah, but, I mean – No, but they're in the same spot as the Flyers. You're right. Yeah, and the other thing is, is do you really want to go where you're from? You know, it's some people like look at that and go, "Of course he wants to play in Philadelphia. He's from here." Mike Trout. Mike Trout. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mike Trout's going, dude. I don't want to play where I grew up. I don't want all my all that around me. I like being away. I go back there for Eagles games. You know, right. <laughs> that's like a romantic thing of like, look, he's got to want to play here. It's the LeBron syndrome. You yeah. know. He felt obligated because he was drafted there. Yeah. But but eventually, you know, and he knew what the just his presence did for the economic culture there as well. But, no, I mean, I don't think that Ottawa's a viable target for him. But Toronto? A, a team like Ottawa, I just don't know how Toronto fits another forward in there at yeah, that time good of money. Point. You know what I mean? And same thing with Edmonton. Yeah, I mean, those teams need D. That's how you win in the playoffs, and they don't have enough of it. So, um you know, I, I don't know. He could. There's a couple ways to get an up. Flyers can retain some of the salary to up the return, which I th- imagine they would do. Uh, but I think that's something that's going to be more closer to the deadline, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. At you all. don't see him back here next year, do you? No, I do. I still could. Okay. Yeah, I mean, even if they traded him, I could see him signing back here. It would be weird. I think that. I think it's more if you get traded, like if he went to Colorado. Yeah. 
I think he would be like, oh, this is kind of nice not being the face. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can just go play hockey. And I don't have to worry about all this other stuff in the past and everything else. I think there's something that's liberating in that for an athlete. Uh, I haven't talked to him about that, but, you know, he, you know it, being the captain is one of those things that is very, uh, again, to use the term romanticized by fans. It doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. Like people go, well, he's the captain. He's got to get these guys ready to play. There is no pro athlete that gets another pro athlete ready to play. It just doesn't happen. Chris Pronger didn't grab guys in the locker room and get them ready to play. You, you, what you do is you just lead by example by the way you carry yourself. If, if the other players on the team choose to follow you and hold themselves to a standard because they're competitors, then that's part of it. But this notion and, and this notion that it's one man who leads on a hockey team. I've, even in the 80s when I played, and not, not even high levels of hockey. It was never one person that was the leader. It's always a leadership group of about, usually almost half your team is the leaders, and then half your team is kind of the followers. And it's exactly that way in the NHL. Um, Jason, assuming that, uh, you know, Drew doesn't win a cup here or make a long run in the playoffs, or however it's going to end, whether it's this year, he's, he's been a great flyer. Like in my opinion, I know I know he's been one of the leading scorers, I guess, during his career in the NHL. Where do you think? How do you think people will remember him? I know he's not Bobby Clark, he's not Eric Lindros, and he might not be some other guys. But doesn't he have to be one of the the all time flyers at some point? Here he is, tied Bob yeah, Clark's right, exactly. record last night with. 333 power play right. points. When you're tying Clarky for records and right. you consider league-adjusted scoring from that era to this era, right. it's pretty special. But do you think people <laughs> think of him like that because of the no. lack of success that the team has had? They don't right now. Uh, maybe eventually when his career's all wrapped up, said and done, they will look back at yeah. it that way. When you're in it, though, it's more about the scoreboard and standings than it is right. your accomplishments. But, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, the guy is fourth in the NHL over the last 12 years in scoring, in points. Mm-hmm. He is the number one power play points guy in the NHL, and he has never had a pure scorer on the power play with him. Is he a Hall of Famer, Jace? I think he's going to he's gonna knock on it, yeah. Because the, the other thing, too, Colonel, is he hasn't slowed down. I know. He's got nine goals. That, he's on pace for his highest goal total in an NHL season When you're year. telling me that somebody's the fourth leading scorer during his career on a team, to me, that's like almost automatic. Yeah, it, it should be. I mean, for a decade from 2010, he was number two in the NHL. Yeah. Right. I mean, I went back and looked at every decade and found the guy who was second in that decade in points. Every one of them's in the NHL, from Denny Savard to, in, you know, every decade, the guy who's number two in that decade in points is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Because you don't you don't pile up those. You can go, well, they're meaningless. They're Bobby Abreu stats. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> when you score that much and they're in on that many points, it's not meaningless. And you look back at a lot of his goals and a lot of his plays. There's huge, but, at, huge port, yeah, but parts Jason, of uh, games. You just mentioned Bobby Abreu. I, I hate saying it, but could we be running into the Bobby Abreu syndrome with him of maybe – for any of these young guys to take step forward, you have to kind of remove. Yeah, this is what happened with Abreu with the Phillies in 06. When they moved him, mm-hmm. it allowed Rollins and Utley and Howard to kind of take over and, and 
you know, are, are we almost entering that point with Gerudo at this point with this with this locker room? Um, nah, I, I don't know if it just plays that way in hockey like it does in baseball. I mean, baseball, each guy plays a position. And, and you're around and each other place, so much. Yes. Yeah, and it's a placeholder, right? In yeah. hockey, all 20 guys play, you know, in every game. So he's not blocking anybody. And, you know, not only that, but he's been their most consistent and best player the last two years. You know, last year was an absolute disgrace, but, you know, he actually didn't have a bad season from an individual perspective. And this year, they're riding a nine-game losing streak, and he's been their most consistent player game in, game out. And it's not, and, and that's part of the problem, frankly, is that a, a soon, very soon-to-be 34-year-old is still your best player without question. That's a problem. Yeah. I, I, it's just a, it was just a thought when you mentioned Abreu and other people have mentioned yeah. Abreu when we've talked about this. Yeah, I mean, does that kind of force the others to grow up if he's not there and, and kind it, of be maybe? Yeah, it, it, we may find that out this year if he's moved to the deadline. But um, you know, the interesting thing about him too, and you know, the people that are harsh critics of him, they all say he's not a good leader, but. In today's media landscape and social media world, we hear everything. You know what I mean? Never heard of anonymously. Never heard. Never heard a guy that played with him, played against him, played plays with him, ever say he's nothing but a great leader. Never one has even uttered it. And to play as long as he has and been the captain as long as he has for that never to be mentioned tells you all you need to know. I mean, guys like Dan Carcillo come to his and look, Carcillo's and Zach Ronaldo, they're a bit of messes mentally. Right. Yeah. And those guys love them. They're fourth line guys. They didn't play with them. They weren't on the ice with them. (laughs) It all comes down to, Jason, if they'd had a couple years where they made a long run in the playoffs or something, that's what it all comes down to. Yep. Yep. They they, they blame him for team success is how he's been judged. Not as his fault. Chris Vandevelde was on the team. (laughs) <laughs> and was it his fault that Daryl, you know, some of the players that they've had and the lack of depth that they've had? No. But he's held accountable for it because he's the face. Yeah. Final question. Um, you know, you mentioned corporate ownership. Uh, and obviously, I mean, there has been... When Ed Snyder was there, it was easy to see how the chain goes. Okay? You know, Ed, Ed gets mad, coach gets fired, stuff changes. Okay. I think there's a lot of people concerned about the way Comcast runs this organization right now, that maybe they're more interested in the marketing end of it. You know, obviously the mascot is a divisive figure in a lot of ways for a lot of the old school fans with this team. And that's, that's window dressing, but the idea that maybe the idea of the passion isn't maybe as great among the I know exactly thanks thanks, Jolly Uh, you see up close where do you see Comcast role in all this at this point Uh, it's interesting like the mascot thing you know when he first came out and it was introduced of course I caught I caught a lot of shit for it because I seem to catch shit for all the bad things (laughs) (laughs) Jason you're the shit catcher but there's also and also we should point out the Kate Smith statue as well, which was yeah. a big part of it. And I don't want to go down that road, but, you know. But um, I didn't even realize that 29 of the 32 NHL teams, now 32 NHL teams, had a mascot. Right. Like, I never even knew that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, the Sharks have a mascot? 
Like I never even knew any of these teams did, you know. And you know, the, he was put in place, I think, more just to for community things, but it's become obviously bigger than that. But um, you know, most sports, pro sports teams at this point are owned by corporate entities, the the mom and pop shops, right? And the single owners and the family ownership groups are few and far between. I mean, there's some. I mean, you look at like the Bagulas in, in Buffalo who own the Bills and own the Sabres or the Aquilini family in Vancouver or some of the other ones in the NHL. But a lot of it's corporate. And like who just bought the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Fenway Sports Group. Yeah. You know, they buy the Penguins and, you know, Mario Lemieux will, will still be involved there. And, and But, you know, the one thing is, is when they were involved – from an NBC Comcast perspective uh, with the NHL. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was a natural partnership that made sense to me. But now that the NHL and NBC are not partners anymore, uh, that it was I was kind of like, huh, that's, that's interesting. Will they try and sell the team? Or are they just not interested in hockey? You know, I don't know. But I think more gets made of ownership and Dave Scott than, than needs to be. You know, is he involved in sanctioning decisions absolutely signs the checks just like any owner would Mm -hmm. whether it's ed snyder or whoever the aquilini family in vancouver they you have to you always have to go through your owner and keep them in the loop on things but i don't think that they're making hockey decisions i don't think that they're making those kind of calls i think they're consulted when it comes to firing a guy like elaine vino who's owed 13 and a half million dollars more absolutely but you know, I, I, I just, I, I don't know about all the inner workings of it. I'm not really involved in the business side at all. Right. I kind of do my thing, and you know, I, I concentrate on hockey, not the business of it. So, I, I don't know exactly what goes on on that side of the building, and with alumni and all that stuff. I know Brad Marsh does a f- friggin' phenomenal job. Yep. Um, and I mean, you saw the alumni game that was here yeah. and the, the attendance that was there for it and players from every generation from, I mean, Pelly Eklund was there. How cool was that? <laughs> <laughs> and Mike Keenan was there and it was awesome. It was so cool and nostalgic, but I, I don't think they're a team that is mired in living in the past. You know, a lot of people say that, oh, well, why don't you hire an ex-flyer? Well, last I checked, Peter Laviolette wasn't an ex-flyer, John, or... Um, you know, you look at Dave Haxtall wasn't an ex-flyer. Scott Gordon wasn't an ex-flyer. Certainly, Elaine Vino's not an ex-flyer. That's a whole notion of... But, you know, they see like Clarkie or they see Holmgren and they say, well, oh, the mentality's still there. But this team is so far from a Broad Street bully team. They're one of the polar opposite teams in the NHL of the Broad Street bullies. So it's not like that DNA is stuck within the franchise. I don't, I don't agree with that element of it from a hockey standpoint. Jason Martinez, who has 15 different jobs. Uh, he's up at Parks on Saturday uh, for uh, his show on 97.5 The Fanatic. He also is starting a podcast with uh, Harry Mays today, actually, uh, sponsored yep. by Parks. Uh, the name of it is, again? Ah, geez. Ah, geez. Yeah. And uh, obviously on Flyer Broadcast and the Flyers uh, Broadcasting Network, correct? Is that the yep. Uh, yeah, we do Flyers Daily every day. I think I've done over 550 episodes already. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. And, and, <laughs> you could have called your new podcast Saturday. Eee, Saturday. <laughs> with Tagger. <laughs> with Tagger. <laughs> you know the, the book that Mitch Album wrote, the Tuesdays with Maury? You got to write Saturdays with Tagger. <laughs> see, and to me, I don't see anything wrong in the way I say it. But 
obviously I do, but Tiger. I Tiger. 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 <laughs> Thank, uh, thank you, Jason. We'll be back on work. Sam Dinellon once because of that, but that's okay. <laughs> well, well, well you, never mind. <laughs> we'll be back on work of the beat right after this. Our thanks to Jason Martinez for joining us. Some interesting days with the Flyers. Yeah, you know, is, is Jason? Yeah, look. I mean, I'm a hockey. I'm more of a hockey guy than most people, but hockey is not my forte. Right. It used to be a long time ago. I could tell you the third line for the Rangers. But listening to Jason talk hockey, I could do that. I could. I could just sit there oh, and just listen. And same thing like with Jonesy. When yeah. Jonesy's talking hot, and even Morgan, you know, Al, Al's very good. But there's something about Jason where he explains things in such a way that you understand them. Mm-hmm. You know, without feeling like he's talking down to you or something, no. or or no, and and anyway. that's and that's especially for a sport that doesn't have. You know, we all grew up with baseball, and we all grew up with with football and and basketball and playing. Yeah, I grew up with hockey too. Because yeah, I no, 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 like, but yeah, but not everybody played it, so not everybody knows the yeah. intricacies. Yeah. We've all played yeah, basketball right. in some form. We've all played touch football. We've all I played street hockey, but you're right. right; it's not the same as what Jason was doing. No, and and about schemes and everything and that's what jason yeah. was strong with jason is right you know if you bring tortorella in it solidifies the defense and keeps the jewel which is yeah. carter hart Wait, can i ask you this question uh-huh. and again it's like you know you you you, you know if charlie manuel's your manager and you get rid of charlie then you're bringing some hard ass you know that's that's the way this manager stuff usually works okay yeah. boa leaves you bring in charlie yep. okay, whatever yeah um or franco however they did it um isn't Tortorella a hard ass guy too? Oh, he's the hardest of the hard asses. Right. So you so you're basically taking a hard ass guy out. I don't know if I would call Vigneault a real hard ass. I think oh, he was a I moderate hard ass. No, I don't think so. I because okay. the MO on him all along, Kevin, was you better win in your first couple. But he years. never he never embarrassed guys in public. <clears throat> oh, I don't mean that way. You don't know Tortorella will. Tortorella. Yeah, but you can be a hard guy to play for, is what I'm saying. But, because I think he demands a lot out of you. But let's also be honest, and I think Jason was right. They need somebody that's going to bring a little bit of a pulse back to the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no pulse but, but, there right now. But again, it's how long does the pulse last? That's true. Like we've seen this before, and and it might be great. Maybe they bring Torts in, and, and they make a they even make the playoffs this year or something. You know, mm-hmm. and, and who knows? And maybe I get all that. But the, the bottom line is this organization has just been – and they've been lacking a goalie forever. They finally got one, or at least we think they do, right? When was the last time they had a quote-unquote sniper? Never. And most well, teams John have a couple. Le- I would say John LeClaire. Le- well, John LeClaire John more- played almost two decades ago, Kevin. Yeah, I know. Okay? Wow. Most of the teams, you look around the NHL, and, and like you yeah, said – they don't, ha- they don't have a heavy shot from the blue line. Yeah, you're right. But and most teams, and granted, they had a, like Edmonton had to pick four times number one in six years or whatever he was saying. But I'm saying most good teams have some guys that you're, you know, Stamkos comes in, you know, and if it's not Stamkos, there's another guy or two on that team that you're kind of afraid of. The Penguins always had Cosby and Malkin, and then there's some other guy, you, you know, who you weren't. The Flyers have none of that. No. You know, if they get a guy that scores 25 to 30 goals, they're thrilled. But but it's been that way. You know, it's like the Eagles were wide receivers. You know, it's just a franchise that's, that's had, for whatever reasons, you got to fix that. I don't care who the coach is. Tortorelli can make a difference. 
Maybe Taki could make a difference. I, I don't. But at some point, you got to change yeah. from within rather than from what somebody's bringing you from without. Um, let me move. Yeah, let me move on to the Eagles. I, obviously, they're in their bye. You know, next next week against Washington is huge. Um, All Florida games are huge if yeah. you want to make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, if you don't care about making the playoffs, well, then you know there's just four games. There's not a quarterback controversy because they don't have a quarterback at this point. I mean, that is correct. You know, I I know we want to say who should ride, who should be the quarterback the next four weeks. Okay, you know that's a legitimate argument. Somebody has to, but realistically, neither one of these guys is going to be the guy going forward. You would think, right? Well, Jalen Hurts could be your quarterback next year if you don't think you can fix it in the off season. To up, yeah, you're going to go out and what draft one of these quarterbacks? Yeah, I'm not that are sure. out there, maybe. And your draft picks are looking worse and worse as time goes on. Yeah, and you're now 12 is your highest one. Yeah, and all this talk about, yeah, I love it when people jump to conclusions. They're going to have five picks in the first three. Now, now, people, let's calm down. There's even talk now that Howie might try to trade one of those picks maybe to next year to try to get something more if they think there might be more out there in the draft. But neither of these quarterbacks, in my opinion, and I'm pretty sure with Gardner, Gardner Minshew, I'm pretty sure too with Jalen. We're going to find out is a franchise quarterback. No, you can, but you can win with Jalen. Jalen has shown you he can do some good things. Minshew can do some good things, but there's a reason nobody wanted Minshew, and he's seven and thirteen or seven and whatever he is as a starting quarterback. And I get it; he played with a bad team in Jacksonville. He is what he is, and Jalen is what he is, and Jalen should start the next game if he's healthy. It shouldn't be. But here's the problem. If and now because they can make the playoffs, now everybody's oh, okay. Yeah, okay, I get it. What if they're down ten in the third quarter? What do you do then? And let's say the quarterback's playing okay. Well, and it's the it's the. Or what do you do, Kevin? No, I agree. You go, you go I, to I, you? I, I go would to not. I would not. I won't either. But I'm telling you, there'll be fans in those stands. Oh, who will on Absolutely. that day? Mm-hmm. Who want Mincho? And if God forbid Mincho comes in and leads them to a victory, oh my God. It'll be like, you know, we, we found Kurt Warner. Um, no, people, that this is not – they may make the playoffs. They may not. But they're not a good enough football team yet. They're a 500 football team. That's what they are. The NFL stinks because there's like 10 or 12 teams that are all 500 teams. And, you know? And he, go, well, oh, go ahead. No, no. And I'm going to give credit to Sirianni. Um and, and yes. I I didn't think at the beginning of the year I would say this, but he has adapted very well. And yes. you know, when he got in that pattern of I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna throw, and they really stunk right through the Vegas game, you know, he did have that look of a one one and done guy. But he has well, shown, he wasn't gonna he wasn't, gonna he wasn't going to, but he had the look of a guy that you could have made an argument as because a one every and done. coach in this league, what Belichick did last night is unfathomable to me. They want to throw, right. But, you know, not throwing is throwing 12 times. He threw three times. I know. And Buffalo couldn't beat him at home with a team that threw three times. You, you got to be kidding me. That you know, Everybody was anointing Sean you know, McDermott as the, as the next. Okay, fine. And now they're 7-5, and five, and they're still a good team. But whatever. Every coach in this league, especially the young coaches, want to throw the football. Mm-hmm. That's what they want to do. The guy in L.A., 
the guy in San Francisco, the, the guy in Chicago, the, you know, on a, that's what Sirianni wants to do. Yeah. In a perfect world, he wants to throw the ball. So now he's presented with a quarterback that isn't ready to throw the ball, maybe never will be ready to throw the ball. And yes, you're right. It took him like six or seven weeks or whatever, but then, okay, we're going to play this way. But Minshew is the guy he would rather play with. Yeah, because it's more of a passing offense at that point. Yeah, exactly. And I, but they still ran the ball last week, and they controlled the clock in the set. But they were playing the freaking Jets, yeah. you know. And they lost the week before that to a team that's just as bad as the Jets, the Giants. So now they're going to have two with the Redskins, or excuse me, Washington. And Washington's about the same as they are, you know. They're they got a quarterback who's not going to lead you to a Super Bowl. Their defense is playing better. They've got one with the Giants. If they don't win the Giants rematch. Something's wrong. And I know the Eagles have played like crap at home this year. I, I get it. They've they won five road games, I think, if my math is correct. Yeah. Uh, but And then Dallas, we don't know about Dallas. Because Dallas could still be playing for something that last week. And even if it's just to be the second seed instead of the fourth seed, that's a big difference. Well, I don't know how it's going you to say You don't get the bye, but yeah, I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you get an easier opponent. You get whatever. Now, the difference between two and three doesn't matter, but... And again, Dallas plays Washington this week. What if Washington wins that game? Yeah, I I don't know. Then then Dallas it's, then it's exactly, all hands on deck at that point. Yeah. Well, Dallas right. hasn't lit it up lately, so I still think Dallas is the best team. And when they get all their guys back in another couple of weeks, I I I think they're. But you know, this this year's been one of the weirdest NFL years I can ever remember, Kevin. I I, I you know, uh, Buffalo was great. Then they're not. Uh, Kansas you know, City was Raiders, awful. Now they look great, but but they don't look great in the sense that Mahomes ain't doing it. It's no, their but defense, their defense has been great. I, I understand that. Um, and then you have the Rams, who for a while looked like they were great, and then it, it's just been, it's a weird, weird. And I still think when all is said and done, it's going to be Rodgers or, or Brady coming out of the NFC. So, and I know the Cardinals are having a great year. I, I respect them for that but I still think one of those two quarterbacks is going to get to the Super Bowl. Who the hell are going to play? I have no idea. Maybe, uh, maybe, I think knows? it's the Chiefs again. I, I would still I, take the Chiefs. I, I, I lean that way, but I'll tell you, as much as I hate to say it, and I still I still like Tennessee, if God forbid, and especially if they get the running back back, but they, they lost that bad game too. But my God, New England, don't you? I mean, the, the job that Belichick is doing with it's unbelievable. this unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And what Josh McDaniels has done. Look, Josh McDaniels was the finalist, we believe, for the job here. God, you watch what McDaniels has done with Mac Jones. It all goes back to, Kevin, they had a lot of guys opted out last year, right? They didn't really have a quarterback because we've seen that Cam Newton isn't, you know, whatever. Cam Newton's done. He's taken too many shots. It's not his fault. They've got a quarterback who landed in the perfect spot. spot. Now, I don't know if he's better than the guy that the Jets took. But the guy in the Jets is playing with the Jets. Yeah. Justin Fields is playing with the Bears. You, you, most young quarterbacks go to these crappy situations. The guy in Jacksonville is playing in Jacksonville. Whereas he went to a situation where not not only does he have, a, 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 I'm not going to say a great team, but a decent team. Hall of Fame coach. Great, well, the best coach ever, probably, or one of them. And he's got Josh McDaniels yeah. handling him. And, I mean, that game plan they came up with last night, I wouldn't have had the balls to run no. to run that game plan. No. But they did, and they won and the they game. And they won the game with it. It's unbelievable. And look, the, the Buffalo might win the rematch in two weeks. You know, they, they could go to New England and win. I'm not saying they can't. 
But my God, if, if New England ends up getting the top seed in the AFC, my God. Changes the landscape. Job. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it might be his best coaching job. Uh, let me move on to college football. Let's start. <clears throat> I don't know if I want to start with the one that I think everybody would want me to start with, which was Brian Kelly. Um, but let's start with the playoff, I guess. Well, first of all, before you get to that. Okay. Now, you got your wish. Are you happy? You're, you're going to a bowl game. Yeah. You're playing in Oklahoma State, I think, or whatever. You didn't want to be in the playoffs because you didn't want to lose to Georgia, which you wouldn't have even been playing Georgia, but that's another Alabama. Are you happy? I'm, I'm satisfied. Yeah. Well, you're nuts. You're nuts because you should have been rooting. You should have been rooting. To oh, I wasn't going to. When I got to Saturday, I, I got to the point where it was like, okay, maybe they can get in, especially once Oklahoma State lost. Yeah, absolutely. But every fiber in your body should have been rooting for Georgia to win that game by a lot, you know, a couple touchdowns or whatever, so that maybe you would have gotten in or or if Michigan would have lost, but it became quite clear that that wasn't going to Yeah, it was happen. clear about four minutes in that but, game. <laughs> and I'm not, if I'm a Notre Dame person, I'm not upset because not upset. I went 11-1. and one. Yeah. It was a good year. If I'd beaten Cincinnati at home, hey, I'm in. But to me, I mean, this is the funny thing to me, Kevin, is the thought of a guy leaving Notre Dame, and I, look, LSU's a great job, and they mm-hmm. gave him $100 million. I, I, it's all about money. All these moves are all about money, and he thinks he could, has a better chance to win a national title down there because the last three coaches at LSU have all won national titles. I get all that. Who would have ever thought a coach could have left Notre Dame? Notre Dame, and he's been there 12 years, when they had a chance to be in the playoffs. I mean, what if Notre Dame had gotten into the playoffs and and he wasn't coaching them. That's that's obscene. It it reveals the character of the man, and it's the character we've kind of known about. But but he's not the only guy that does. I can't, look, Kevin, well, no, Lincoln Riley did it too. If some guy buddy comes to me and offers me ninety million dollars to go to a, I'm, I'm supposed to say Mike what? Lincoln Riley left you uh, Oklahoma for USC while the body was still warm. And, and that's and, and I have no problem with him. I, all these guys do it. Every single guy that leaves to go somewhere is doing it for one reason. They can give you all the reasons they want. Crystal ball just left Oregon dangling in the wind, right? To go to to, and to I Miami. He's from, I understand it's his alma mater. I I, I understand all that. Yeah, but that let's let's, let's also, I was just gonna say let's all say let's also say karma on Manny Diaz. Yeah, but what they did to Manny Diaz was not right either. Karma. Just fire him. Karma. Just fire him after the last game. Yeah. I, I get if it. if you if you're gonna ask me about a pity party for Manny Diaz, you're not gonna get it. No, no, no. I agree with you, but just put remember this: when Adazio took the Temple job, he wanted to leave two weeks later. I know because the Connecticut job came open, and that wasn't even his where he'd been, but he wanted to go to New England. Okay. Manny Diaz left because it was where he was. I wasn't mad at Manny Diaz. I thought, you know, it was a, it was a unique circumstance, and it was Temple. And here's your two choices: Temple or Miami. I get it. It was, and I don't have, I don't feel bad for Manny Diaz. I don't. But what I'm saying is, this is college football now. Mm-hmm. This is the way it works. Yep. You have guys leaving Oregon. You have guys leaving Oklahoma. You have guys leaving Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. I mean, wow. Like, Brian Kelly could have stayed at Notre I just found that's one reason I was rooting for Notre Dame to make the playoffs. 
I wanted them to pull a Michigan from 1989 in basketball. Steve Fisher. When, when Frieder got kicked out and, and they put Fisher in and he won the damn title. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it just, I don't blame any of these guys because if my son or me had a chance to get, take $90 million. Now I don't think there's a big difference between 90 million and 60 million, but it ain't my money. Okay. I'm sure Brian Kelly was doing fine at Notre Dame. It's just like the guy at Penn State. He could have left. But then again, they gave him a boatload of money, right? Mm-hmm. And building improvements. And yeah. I mean, yeah, well, hey, look, it, it's but, this is because it's not college football anymore as we knew it. It's it's it, you know, their coaches are making as much as the NFL coaches are making. They're the highest paid guys in the state. Let me let me ask you about the two semifinals. Um, yeah, did you? They got the right four teams, right? They did get the right four teams. There was pretty. Were clear. you were you mad to Bama? Like I had a fan, a friend of mine's a big Michigan fan, and he 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 thought Michigan should have been one, maybe in Bama too. And I said, well, and the committee said they didn't take the rematch into effect. I, I think it. I okay, they may say it, but let's be honest. But I think Bama. This is my opinion. As much as I respect Michigan, I think Michigan has a chance. I uh, really do. Bama's pedigree They're, makes them. Number one. But no, forget the pedigree. They beat a team that everybody said was virtually unbeatable, and they beat them by a they, lot. They put a 40 spot up on a team that allowed six points a game. With, think about this, Kevin, with three second-half possessions that were like three and outs. Yeah. You know, when they were just trying to milk their, their lead. Now, one of them was a pick six. Now, Grant, I was just going to say, and granted, Stetson Bennett was awful for Georgia, and that's oh, going to be. Yeah, but the other guy is great. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, Chase, this the whole game came down Bray to Sean. one thing. Hey, look at this. this is how good Alabama is. And this is why I get when Notre Dame people will say to me, "Well, why can't we play with Alabama?" Because they lose their best receiver. He goes out, and the guy you bring in is just as good. Yeah. Last year they lost Waddle in like game three or four or whatever it was. He might have won the Heisman Trophy. Instead, the other receiver wins the Heisman Trophy. I know, by the way, the quarterback finished third or whatever he finished. I mean, nobody competes with Alabama. Let's be honest. Well, Georgia can compete with them. Yeah, okay, but Georgia's problem is the head coach has never beaten Alabama. And the the head coach. He should have beat them twice. He didn't. I get it. Texas saying, look, teams can play with Bama. Clemson has shown they can play with Bama. Right. I think Ohio State can. But here's the thing Kirby Smart put it perfectly on the TV. We're either going to get to Chase or he's going to get us. And that Alabama offensive line, Chase, what Chase Bryce, should have done at the Bryce, end of the game. Right, Bryce. Bryce, I'm sorry. When they gave him the MVP trophy, I would have sat there and if he would have just said, here, give this to my offensive line because yeah. that's why we won the game and that's why they won the game. And when they had to run the ball at the end of the game, they even ran the ball, which they really didn't do. They gave him time to throw the football. If you give Alabama, and here's Alabama that used to live on defense. And think about this. Bill O'Brien's their first-year offensive coordinator. I mean, and everybody was knocking Bama in the second half of the year because they weren't winning games by enough. And, and I get it. You're Bama. You get spoiled. You want to win every game by whatever. Hey, and I'm not saying they're going to win it all. They may not win it all, okay? But that game on Saturday just showed you why Nick Saban is Nick Saban. And I don't know any other way to put it. I, I that that was just that was one coach showing how great he is. Yeah. Now, do you think again? 
do you think Cincinnati has any chance? Uh, no. No. To uh, ma- even make it a game, do you think? I think they'll lose by 20. Okay. How about the other game? Um, I actually like Michigan. I like the way Michigan's playing right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think they, I think, look, it's going to be a, it's going to be an old fashioned game in a sense of they're both going to just try to grind it out and use defense and use, I just think Michigan right now is just a little sharper. See, here's where I think it all comes down to. And I told you this last year when Clemson played at Ohio state, Ohio state had been waiting for that game for a year because yeah. they thought they got job the year before. Yeah. Or whatever. How does Georgia recover from getting hit in the mouth? Because they didn't get hit in the mouth. They, they, I mean, they were this great defense and a great offensive team, really, because they were scoring 40-some a game. But they were playing with how short fields a lot. Come, yeah, I agree. How do they come back from that? So how do they regroup? But is there been anything in Georgia's DNA that's shown that they are able to do that under Kirby Smart? Well, because everybody's looking at it as, boy, if they get Alabama again. And look, trying to beat a team like Georgia twice a year is hard. Yeah. If, if there does come down to a rematch, it is. It will be harder for Bama to win that that second game. But I give Michigan. I think Michigan. They're a seven point underdog, eight point or whatever they are. As long as Michigan doesn't get caught up in that, we're just happy to be here kind right. of thing, and plays football. You look at Michigan's year. You take tw- the last twenty minutes of the Michigan State game out. They've been as good as anybody in the country. Yeah. And I think and, Hutch- kind of and Hutchinson. He got invited, obviously, in New York for the Heisman. Hutchinson, in a normal year, would have been a really good candidate. This year, you can't well, with the quarterbacks, but oh well, yeah, but and but they have another good defensive lineman too, right? It isn't just yeah. Them. The other right. end, the other end is really good. Yeah, and and I think it wouldn't surprise. Know, it would not surprise me if Hutchinson's the number one pick in the draft. Oh uh, sure, why why not? Why not? I mean, if it, whoever, whoever's picking one, if they need, I mean, if they don't need a quarterback, a lot Houston of or Detroit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, Houston might need a quarterback, but I don't think there's a quarterback you would work at first one. Bet. Right. So maybe they trade out of one. I don't know who the hell knows. That's so far down the road. But I mean, the thing is, will, will, can Michigan score in the twenties? Cause I think Michigan's going to have to get to the twenties. I think, 20s. They, can. I think, I they, think they, they can too. I, I, think I think because their line too. is so good. And I think they run the yeah. ball so effectively and I think this is going to be a Jim Harbaugh game because he's going to have to do things, or whoever his offensive coordinator is, they're going to have to do some things like like Bama kind of did. You, yeah. you're, you're not going to run the ball and beat Georgia at Georgia's game, I don't think. You're going to have to be creative. You're right. You're going to have, but you're, you are going to have to run the ball. I mean, they mm-hmm. got a really good running back, but you're going to have to be creative. And Georgia's probably got more speed than you. Which you know usually Southeastern Conference teams do. I I, I think Michigan. I could be totally wrong, but I, I could see Michigan winning that game. I absolutely could. Yeah. So, so that's the college football playoff story. Uh, who's who's Temple's next coach? Wow. I know you don't have a clue, and I don't have a clue. And and I saw like, somebody cares? speculate one of the assistants from Texas coming up, which would follow oh. Arthur Johnson, the new AD. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're Assistant from Texas, and you're okay, whatever. And they're then they're here. If they win, in this, I'm trying to remember. He he was an assistant. He was an assistant with um at Nova. He does have oh, that's that's Drayton, uh, Stan Drayton, Stan Drayton. Yeah, yeah. His name came up, I think, the last time when they it was either the Jeff Collins and or the Manny Diaz. It, uh, probably the Jeff Collins because I wasn't there for the Manny Diaz. 
Um, his name came up. Uh, there was, a, you know, this is going to sound really weird. Cristobal's name came up in one of those job searches. It might have been the Matt Rule job search when Matt Rule got the job. I remember Cristobal's name was called because I don't know where he was then. I don't know what he was doing, but yeah, I mean th- th- that's a train wreck. I, I, I mean they need somebody. You know, I've actually heard a couple people saying, "What about Al Golden?" Now, I I, you and I have Al talked was, about this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if look. I don't know what Al's thinking. I don't know what Temple's thinking. It's a whole new administration. Uh, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But it, you could do worse than Al, I think. Yeah, you know? but you maybe and I, 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 you mentioned this last time we talked about uh, you know. The, the 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 cautionary tale was Randy Etzel. Um, Randy Etzel had a good thing going in Connecticut, left for Maryland, came back, and it it was a disaster. Well, I'll tell you the one difference: Al never fulfilled it. Like Al never got to the finish line. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of left before they really. You know, he didn't win a bowl game. He got to a bowl. He didn't. He didn't win a bowl game. Randy had gone to the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, yeah, that's when he left. So, I just think. At least you'd be getting a guy that understands Philadelphia. I don't think he'd be looking to leave in two or three years. I mean, maybe, you know, if they had success, maybe somebody takes a look at him again. Who knows? Sure. But I just think there's something to be said for that. They, they, they have to rebuild their culture. They yeah, really do. They do. And I don't know if a guy coming from the outside, I'm, I'm not saying that precludes you from doing that because Golden was from Penn State when he did it. and um, But he kind of pulled but, John Calipari. When John Calipari... Paragard got the UMass in 1990. It was kind of the same thing out. But let's also let's also be honest, Mike. Let's also be honest. This isn't just a football issue at Temple. This is an identity issue with every one of their sports on where they want to be as a uh, you know what conference they want to be in. But but football is obviously the the spider web, the beginning. Yeah, but what I'm saying is you're not picking a football coach thinking about basketball or no, no, you're right. So you're picking a football coach to to get the football program right. No, I agree. I agree, but I think it's a I think it's an issue they have to look at deeper for everything, not just with football. The football is well, the focus. They they're, not, they're not going anywhere, Kevin. You, you, you can write this story fifty times. I love Mike Jensen. He, he Mike sometimes will write a story and say this isn't working, but then somewhere in the story he'll say, "But I don't have the answer," and that's fine. I used to do that too. But you got to give me an answer. There's no answer. There's no conference out there that works for you if you want to play football. If you want to drop to FCS, that's not that's not, that ain't going to work. You might as well just drop the program. You can't go back to the MAC because the MAC's going to want you for everything. So tell me where you're going. The ACC ain't calling you. There's no well, other. Well, let, let, let me ask you a question on the MAC. Okay, you're right. The MAC will want you for everything. And you make zero money in the Mac. There's no identity in the Mac, Kevin. People don't care about Eastern Michigan. Okay. I'm just telling you. I covered the team when they were in it. Nobody cares. In a perfect How much world, different is that than the American, though? But the American is makes the next money. best I get conference. It. I get it. You can't leave the next best conference to go to something. No matter what you think of the American. Would the would every sport at Temple be better off in the Atlantic Ten? Absolutely, a hundred times better. It ain't happening because you play football. If you want to kill football tomorrow, then kill football, and then maybe your other sports would be better off for it. But there's zero amount of money in that. Mm-hmm. Their basketball team ain't making nothing. 
I'm not saying they make a lot of money in the American. I'm just telling you, you are considered the sixth best conference in a five-conference world. What that means, I have no idea, because your three best teams are leaving for the Big 12. So I don't know. But Temple is in, they are caught between a rock and the proverbial hard place. And until the landscape of college football changes, that ain't changing. And I see no way that Temple's ever getting into the ACC. So if you see a way for that, no, happen, no, 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 it's not, it's not going to happen. Well, but short of that, you're not going to Conference USA. You're not going to the Sun Belt. Um, you're not going to the Big Sky or whatever the hell, the Mountain West or whatever the hell's out there. You are in the best conference you can possibly be in for football, and maybe for basketball, although that hasn't that hasn't you know been the case. Uh, I still think you'd be better in the Atlantic Ten, and so do you, and so does everybody else. But that ship sailed eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So second best team in. Philadelphia basketball and Philadelphia college basketball right now is? I'd probably say Temple. Okay. They, they're, I mean, one, they're, look, I don't follow it like I used to. It's because of the trend. Right. They're one of their best player or their leading scorer. Whatever. He's out for the year. Year. Uh, but, but look, Penn, Penn, look, Penn in the Ivy League. I hope I'll tell you what, I watched the, Princeton the other night. Princeton's pretty good. Yeah, but all you got to do is make the four team tournament. Yeah. You know, that, that's, they've changed. Yeah, you know, the Ivy League has changed now. So that's a good thing. Uh, Drexel, I think, is not bad in, yeah. in their in their league. They'll be a fact. Yeah, winners. But, pr- Cam win- Cam winners pretty good. Yeah, but I just don't see St. Joe or LaSalle Sal, no. doing much of anything, no. and I think Temple will probably be okay. Yeah, and I don't know what okay means. Uh, uh, I, I have I have reserved the final f- two minutes of this show <laughs> to let Mister Kern spat off. About Dick Allen. Mr. Kern, the floor is yours. Look, I was one of those people, and I'm still not totally convinced. To me, Dick's, and I call him Rich, Richie. So it's Richie Allen. One of my favorite players when I was first, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I, I wasn't sure that he's a Hall of Famer because to me, you got to be dominant for, for a decade. I'm not sure he was that, but. When I started to hear all the numbers that I don't understand, you know, some of these numbers that put him in classes with Mel Ott and Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, well, then I got to stand up and, you know, say, hey, wait a minute. Then when you throw in the fact of what he went through, and I'm not sure that that, again, should be part, but he was thrown to the Wolves, first at Little Rock, then here in Philadelphia. He brought some of it on himself, but some of it was thrust, a lot of it was thrust upon him because of the racial nature of the world at that time. Not that we've moved on, but I mean, it was bad. It wasn't good. So the fact that you lose twice by one vote. So in two separate instances, one vote has kept you out of the hall. And I understand they have to have a number here. Here's the number, you know, like it's 75% for the regular voters, right? You got to get 70 or 75, whatever. It's 75%. And guys have lost by a couple of votes, right? Have not made it yeah. in the past. We've seen it. It's just heartbreaking to me. And not because he was a Philly. And, and I, I just think it would have been the right thing to do. And, and I know Schmitty was on the committee and he, and he, you know, vowed he was going to. It just seems to me that if you voted seven years ago and he came up one vote short, and now you vote now and he still came up one vote short after seven years of reading about it and, and, I don't know. You tell me, Kevin. I mean, was he as worthy well, as Jim Jim Cott and 
Well, I, I, look, I, I thought Tony Oliva. Tony Oliva was a great player, right? Yeah, but I'm if you're taking Tony Oliva, you gotta take the gown. You know. Okay. I mean, no, I'm up with you. They're they're comparable in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. You know, Jim Cott. Let's be honest. You know, longevity. It was longevity. Right. It's also he's been ingrained as a broadcaster for a number of years. So there's yeah, that ain't going so well for him anymore. But but you know what I mean. I mean, they're, they're, he built, hey, look, he built a lot of relationships wins. within the. You're right. Within Kevin, the game, 282 wins is 282 wins. I, I, I get he pitched 30 years or whatever the hell he pitched, right. but it's still it's a lot of but it's a lot of wins. I mean, but it, it yeah. I mean, but let's be honest. You're it, more up on numbers than I am. Like I, what is somebody say? Let me, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. And I, I I've said this in the past. I, I I hate these type of committees. I do. Yeah. Um, no. because I think it becomes more political. You know, everybody talks about the writers and, and yeah, are there writers that get political? Yeah, but the broad nature yeah. of the amount of votes. Well, Tony Lasorda got uh, Harold Baines in, right? Tony Larusa. A couple years ago, right? Yeah. Harold Baines got in, and yeah. it was largely because yeah, I mean, come on, uh, Harold Baines ain't a hall. I don't. I mean, is Dick Allen more of a hall of famer than Harold Baines? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. No doubt. When mean, when somebody showed me that that stat, and I, I guess Froggy. Carfagio has done a lot of this stuff. That over what that one decade where Dick Allen's is it OPS? Is, yeah. is it, am I getting OPS was, or OPS was, plus? Yeah, led the majors. Yeah, right. It was better than Hank in the sixties. In the sixties, which was a decade. Yeah, there were some pretty good guys. And here's the other thing about about Richie Allen that you think about this: who did he ever have in the lineups with him? Like no, Willie but, Mays, when, when Willie I mean, Mays played, Christ, Christ, if you look at it in in Philly, his best player around him in his first tenure was Johnny Callison. Okay, Johnny had Johnny wasn't that good. Johnny was okay. Johnny he was okay, but Johnny was not. Uh, 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 Bill Melton may have been his best player in Chicago. Kevin, Kevin, think about this. They're neither the one of them are Hall of the, Famers. Middle yeah. of the Giants order for like seven or May, eight or Mays nine and McCovey was Sup- and May, Cepeda. Cepeda. Yeah. You had three Hall of Famers. Now, I'm not saying Willie Mays wouldn't have been a great player without Hank, those guys. Hank Aaron had Eddie Matthews. I mean, well, the early part of his career. Yeah. Not, I don't know who he had later on. Oh, yeah, Dusty Baker for a while, too. But when they showed me that one number, that like all time, there's a number that Dick Allen is just ahead of Willie Mays and just below Mel Adams, like 13th all time. Uh-huh. I think it was power number. It was yeah. a power number. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to tell me that... And I'm not a big numbers guy. I think numbers, you can make numbers do almost anything you want. But if you're going to tell me you're mentioning him in the same breath with Melot, Hank Aaron, and Willie Mays, you know what? Mike, it is it is one of those yeah. things that it's just the political. And, and we look at it differently, Kevin, I think because we're from Philadelphia a little bit. Like, I don't think anybody in Seattle is sweating. Whether uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest. There was a lot of people who were a guest on Sunday night when that was announced that Dick Allen didn't get it. Okay. And, and the other part, Bob Costas was one of the main ones I should point yeah. out. And, but I grew up when Richie Allen, yeah, I was like uh, 64. I would have been six years old. So, you know, whatever. I was just getting into baseball then getting into sports. I remember that it was a tumultuous time. People now who are like 40 years old. They don't know. They don't no. get any of that. They don't get, <laughs> but, and then like, Dick wouldn't show up for games. They, like I said, he bought some of that on himself. But there was a lot of racism going on. There was the Frank Thomas thing. He he, he was rookie. He almost mm. took the Phillies mm. to the pennant in '64. He yeah. was the rookie yeah. year. It never worked out for him here. Mike, I got I'm gonna oh, go I'm gonna stop you on this end, okay? 
the Hall of Fame process, and look, I'm still involved, and I have my ballot upstairs, and I'm going to look over it this week. It's become a joyless process. Yeah, you're right. It's John. really become, and both on the veteran side, where it's become yeah. so politicized on that end. But there's no perfect way to do it, Kevin. Oh, no. I mean, but I'm just saying this used to be a celebration of the sport. Yeah, you're right. No, you're And right. now it's yeah. a every decision is so micromanaged. And look, in three yeah. weeks, we're going to – I'm sure b- between now and the end of the year, I'm going to get into what my ballot's going to be. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. But it has become somewhat joyless, and I'm going to – Well, what's the guy um, – I mean, how long did it take Eddie Murray to get in, right? It's um, a, it took him a year extra. Okay, it wasn't okay. I'm, it wasn't. I'm, it wasn't I'm, a large. That's my bad. But Eddie, Eddie Murray, look. I think not, it took him a year. I'm not even sure. Eddie maybe. Murray. Eddie Murray was a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, anybody can look at Eddie Murray and say, yeah, he, he belongs in Hall of Fame. I still think I look at Albert Bell, and I might be wrong about Albert Bell, but for ten years, Albert Bell was one of the best, if not the best, power hitter in baseball. He was. He ain't ever getting in unless it's for a veteran because they hated him. You know, the, the the media. He didn't get along with the media. I understand that. I, I get it, but the Dick Allen thing is just, it, it, I think it's nearer and dearer to my heart because he was my favorite player. When he's, and like I said, for years, I didn't really think he was a Hall of Famer. I thought he was close, but I didn't think he was quite. And I've just in the last five or six or seven years, I, I'm just in the opinion of, you know what? And I wish he would have went in when he was still alive. So yeah. it would have, yeah, but his family was devastated. I mean, they were dead because everybody thought he was getting in, right? Yeah, we we all kind of thought, and Wednesday he's not eligible for what, like three years now or something. Yeah, yeah. So and remember, and it almost be, it almost becomes anticlimactic. And at some point, and right? last year's and last year's ballot was canceled because of the right. the pandemic, right. obviously. So right. there's another whole issue with that. So, but right. I thought what real quick, I thought what he said or what his son said about the Dick is in is in the Negro Hall of Fame, the Negro Leagues Hall of Fame, or right. something like that, and he said that meant everything to him and that was enough and you know what hey you know I, you know dick allen's probably up there laughing <laughs> he's probably sitting there going can you believe all this commotion he knows look whether you're a hall of, he knows he was a, a a wonderful player who had flaws went through some bad times and then at the end i thought the great thing about richie allen was he came back in 75 or 6 right yep was on that first playoff team and the city welcomed him back yep Caused largely because of Schmitty and Boa, right? Yep. Who kind of stood behind him. So it kind of had a happy ending in Philadelphia. It did. Which it didn't have a happy ending when he left. It was nope. it was not good. Nope. So that was nice. All right. So we're gonna be back later in the week. Uh Friday. Good for you, Mr. Kern. Uh I think so. Okay. Since we're back to a somewhat normal schedule. My it's a bye week. You know, it's a bye week. I know. We could talk. We could talk Sixers on Friday. We could. But Simmons will still be a Sixer by that point. That's true. In, in time and memoriam, he'll be a Sixer. So, thank you, Michael. Yeah. Okay, babe. You have a good day. I'll talk to you later. Oh, uh, oh wait a minute. What? Am I going to see? You? Am I going to see you tonight? I have no idea. I am checking with the wife. That's fine. And either way is fine. Okay. I'll talk okay, to you later. Babe. All right. Bye bye. Our thanks to Jason Martinez for joining us. Our thanks to you for joining us. We'll see you later in the week. This has been Mark of the Beat. Well, you went uptown.